What is up, Mets fans? We are back here. Episode number 23 of the Mets Up Podcast. You're listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We did it quick this time, but I'm feeling it because I want to ask if you guys are liking what you're listening to here. Drop us a rating. It really does help us out. That's going to be my plug for the uh, podcast today. We also got the Twitter, Instagram, Mets Up. You guys know who we are. Co-hosts Mark Luino, Draftneck Mark here with James Schiano. Jeter had no range. Just finished up a series against the San Diego Padres that the Mets won. Despite how some fans might feel after today's game, Mets won the series two wins, two in a row, a loss today on Sunday, which is going to be the game that we end up starting off with today because it's fresh in everybody's mind, fresh fresh off the iron, I think that's the saying, is that? Fresh off the presses. Fresh off the presses. Hot iron, fresh press. Wow. Don't know where I'm going with that one. <laughs> but that anyway, we're talking about the Padres series. We're going to start off with game three, but I really do think quick notes it was a good series i think like the mets still looked very good against one of the best teams in baseball james i'm sure you share the same sentiment as me 100 percent. the mets impressed and now in a season series with the padres that they won yeah we played what seven games against them we got four wins yeah that's great. a playoff series yeah as of yesterday we would have been heading to los angeles to face the dodgers in the nlcs yes that would be fantastic and today's game would never even have happened no it wouldn't have even mattered no great we lose this game guess what we won four before you did so that's all that matters but we have a quick shout out before we get started because I found a website that ranks the podcast and everything like that, which is cool because that's something I've been wondering about. And we saw we are the number one baseball podcast in the Republic of the Trinidad and Tobago. So shout out to Trinidad and Tobago listener. If you're there, somehow get in contact with us. We got something special for you. But yeah, let us know. And uh, shout out to Trinidad and Tobago. It feels good to be number one somewhere. Feels good to be number one somewhere. We're doing pretty well, though. Like, all around, super excited. The Mm -hmm. support has been amazing, as always. Mm -hmm. And again, the YouTube channel, you guys can check us out there, Mets Up Podcast. We're going to have all the videos going up there. We're also trying something out new this week where we're also going to upload the full video as well as, like, split them up into a couple segments, try to make them some easier videos to watch. So if you're into that, that's going to be a good way for you to get some of this Mets Up content as well. Enough of the intro. Let's get started with Game 3. Joey Lucchese on the mound. Mets looking for a sweep going up against the Sheriff, Chris Paddock. And... It wasn't Lucchese's fault why we lost today. Lucchese actually pitched well. It wasn't even close. He was almost the reason we could have won this game. It was really similar to his start last Friday in San Diego where Tommy Pham hit a home run like bang right off the bat, just like Manny Machado hit that donger last week. And Lucchese just really settled in. It was pretty nice to watch. And it felt like we did the same thing that we did the last time Lucchese started too. We texted each other immediately like, oh, this is going to be a nightmare. This is going to be a long game. And it ended up being that Joey Lucchese settled in nicely and got the job done again. Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest things that Lucchese did, and every Mets pitcher did as a whole, we're going to get into that every single game's breakdown, but we've been saying it was a carbon copy. And it was a carbon copy by like look and by feel with a quick home run the first inning and then three or four innings of really just smooth sailing. But something that we've talked about a lot with Jeremy Hefner, we've talked about a lot with this Mets team, is that game planning is a very big deal for us. And every single pitcher of this series, including Joey Lucchese, attacked the Padres in a different way than they did last week. Because when you face a team two consecutive starts, like they're going to have a pretty good look at you. Like They're going to be somewhat aware of what's coming. And it was pretty cool that the Mets were able to change that. This is something cool that's going to affect the Mets more in something like a playoff series. Because you're going to be facing these teams more than three times in a row, generally, besides the first round, hopefully, whatever. So it's nice to see that the Mets are very intuitive and all of these pitchers are able to give many different looks. That is boosting us up and that's just another feather in the cap of Jeremy Hefner, my favorite player on the team. But back to Joey Lucchese, Italian Joe. 
something that was great to see was his gains on the velocity gains on the curve held super cool. He's averaging that like up into the high seventies now, which is something he hasn't done. He touched 84 with it, which there's an entire new pitch for him almost. He threw it 40% of the time today, which was 15% more than he threw it last week at 25%. And with that, he threw many less sinkers. So that was an adjustment, less sinkers, probably a much easier pitch to hit than the churve for the Padres, I'm sure. Another thing was the location on those sinkers were very, very different. Last week, he just used them kind of to pepper the zone. He was just putting them middle, low, in, outside, using them a lot just in the outer regions of the zone like Lucchese likes to do. Today, he was throwing them very high and very outside, like more often than he has most times this year. Caught that little factoid from our friend Tim Ryther on Twitter of the Apple NYM. Great blog, follow him up. But yeah, it's pretty cool to see that Lucchese was able to mix things up and he kind of dominated the Padres today with 33% whiff rate and 35% called swing strike rate. Those are like super good numbers that only some of the best starters in the league have and there's an incredible development that we've seen and it's against a team that is now seeing him for a second time too he's able to keep it up he pitched so well the last two starts against very very good team the san diego padres it's got some people talking about possibly stretching out his arm a little bit more mm-hmm. and even lucchese after the game said it himself he wants to be able to see a lineup the third time through now for those of you who've been listening for a while you know that us here at the messed up podcast we are adamant about how we do not want to see joey lucchese a third time through I get it from his perspective. He's a he's a competitor. He wants to go out there, help his team win, give more innings, because the Mets really are going to need some innings out of him. Yeah. These five innings, though, that he can give us, that is so huge for us, especially like if a guy like Peterson tomorrow could follow up with just five. Like Those guys go out there every single day, give us five. We get the seven from the other three guys. That puts together a very successful rotation for us. Joey Lucchese, I don't want to see him go through a third time. I think you don't continue to roll the dice. You say, hey... He did what we asked of you. That's good. And it seems like that's something Luis Rojas is like very conscious of right now is that like there's a script you even said to me earlier, like they're going to be following the script, especially on days when it's not our top guys going and they're going to stick to it. It seems like Lucchese for five. That's the script. Definitely. And I understand where Lucchese is coming from. Like it's a mental thing. This guy's been a starting pitcher his entire life. Like you want to get the ball and not give it up. Like I like that Lucchese is aggressive, that he wants to pitch deeper into games, that he wants to be on the mound more. Like he wants the pressure. He wants to take on this role. He's competitive. He has fire. But when you're throwing two pitches and one of them you invented, like you just can't you can't really be that effective going through the lineup a third time. And Lucchese's career stats bear that out. Especially against a lineup like the Padres that it was so right-handed heavy today, especially, mm-hmm. and another team that just crushes left-handed pitching. Like we're at a point in baseball now where if you are a left-handed pitcher, you have to have that great stuff. Otherwise, you get these guys, these teams even like that, see what the Rays do. And like, we're going to stack the lineup of varieties today. Doesn't matter. They didn't play Trent Grisham against Joey Lucchese, which mm-hmm. is crazy because mm-hmm. Trent Grisham is one of the best center fielders in baseball. But teams are making this conscious effort that they are going to put guys up at the plate against lefties specifically that give them the best chance or have the best numbers against those kind of guys. So it, it's tough to have him go three times through when he throws 90 and his churve is kind of all over the place sometimes. Churvin. It's churvin. Churve, churves. But yeah, Hosmer was the only lefty in lineup today. It's crazy that the Padres are game planning for Joey Lucchese, but that's just the baseball world we live in. But we should get back to the point you gave before about this being a script because it was very clear that Luis Rojas had a script that he was adhering to as we gave this game away in the innings that followed Joey Lucchese. Yeah, because after the fifth, Familia came in for the sixth, and it was not an easy sixth inning, but no. it's Jerry's Familia. That's why he's going to do for us. I think there were two men on, nobody out. Two men on, nobody out. They then they no, ground into the double play, play, and he got the strikeout, I think, of Grisham, which I think was big. I think that was huge. 
I don't quote me on that, but I feel like that's right because I feel like it stuck in my head. I was like, that's a big strikeout. Like, there was a go. big strikeout. I remember pumping. Oh, it was Will Myers. It was Will Myers. Yes. It was Will Myers. Get hit him on the corner, didn't swing. Will Myers loves to strike out swinging or looking. Loves it. Feel like I've seen it all series. But that was huge. But he kind of scraped through that inning again. He got the hard ground ball that he needed, which familiar is a ground ball pitcher, always has been. So that was good, but you went, okay, good sixth inning. Who's coming in for the seventh? And we saw Familia come back out for the seventh, to which I think every Met fan disagreed with, yeah. myself included. But I'm not going to kill Rojas like some people on Twitter are, because I don't really know realistically if there was a better option when the guys that were available in the bullpen today after the game, he said Castro, Diaz, Lugo were not available, and Loop. And Loop. So the really only guy that you could have gone to that I think you would have felt more comfortable than Familia was Trevor May. But Trevor May's been struggling, hasn't pitched in a week. We don't know what's going on there. Your other options were Barnes and Smith. I'm hypothesizing that Trevor May was the closer today. And this, again, goes back with this theme that Luis Rojas is a little bit of a perfectionist and he always is following a script that's probably given to him by someone in the front office. And they didn't want to go to May before they theoretically had to. This is an issue that we Buck Showalter famously screwed up in the wildcard game 2015? Uh, yeah, whatever Whenever it was that happened. Everyone's a fa- the famous time where the, the, the Orioles lost in a walk-off to the Blue Jays, right? Yeah, to the Blue Jays because they went with Ubaldo Jimenez yeah. instead of Zach Britton, who gave up like a run that entire season. You don't want your best pitcher sitting on the bench when you blow the game. That may have happened today. And that's something that we see the Rays, and this is something that we thought Rojas was going to do because he did a little bit earlier in the year. But we talked about with the Rays, one thing that we liked a lot about how they handle their bullpen is that, let's say it's the seventh inning and the best guys are coming up, it's the biggest situation. They don't have a closer role. The closer is basically by committee. You happen to pitch the ninth inning and end the game. The guy who they really want pitching the high leverage situations, like a Nick Anderson, even though he's been hurt this year, he came in in the seventh if he needed to, if that's when the big situation was. It felt like it should have been May there, but also I think May really might not be available. I understand he might not have been available, but at some point you have to become available. Like Trevor May is the most talented Mets reliever who was available today. He needed to be available for the biggest spot in this game, and he wasn't, and that sucks. Well, I feel like that's also a huge issue here is that what is wrong with him? Is he okay? Is he not available? He wasn't listed in that group of guys who wasn't. So why hasn't he been used in literally a week? The last time he made an appearance was against the Padres in that ninth inning where he had some trouble. Last Sunday. Last Sunday. He got up and warmed up yesterday during the game, but he, I don't even think, got up today. No, he didn't. And it was pretty interesting that in between the sixth and seventh innings when the Mets were at the plate, the bullpen was completely silent. Yeah. So the plan definitely was Familia getting to six outs and, and I and I can see it because like we've said many times like 30 games and or 31 games in 30 days whatever that number was it's an insane amount of games coming up 33 and 31 I think then yep. right it's an insane amount of games coming up and they are going to need some guys to step up which is why I think some people want Lucchese to go the extra inning I still go familiar there I, I, we're, I think we stand on that but I, it's tough you're handcuffed there with Luis Rojas because Honestly, guys, if you're against it for the second inning, I'm okay with it. I don't have any issues. But if you're telling me that you did feel more comfortable with Jacob Barnes starting that inning, or even Drew Smith, and we love Drew Flo, but it seems like they're very much putting like kitty gloves on here with Drew Smith. I, I know you have something to say about it, but it seems like they're treating him with kitty gloves, coming off big surgery, coming off big injury. It doesn't seem like they want him in high-pressure situations, especially because I think he's been given a couple of them, and he did kind of not pitch that well in those scenarios. He did pretty well during that extra inning game down in Miami, and he did blow the game the night after, but as it seems some two days in a row. I just think that I would rather have a new pitcher start an inning as 
just if I was managing the Mets, my dream. Like, I just would rather there have been a fresh arm there, especially as Familia started the inning and ran into trouble again and faced Tommy Pham again, as we said last on last two episodes ago. That's a disaster matchup for Yaris Familia. He does not throw enough strikes to really ever get Tommy Pham out. And Tommy Pham was thrown in our side all series. Yeah. We basically couldn't get him out at all. I think he made three outs in three games. Yeah, I think you said he raised his OPS like 100 points. Yeah, it was unbelievable. He couldn't. He could do no wrong. But really, the inning changed the batter before, two batters before, the jerks and Profar at bat. Yeah. That was the batter before. I think he was pinch hitting. Or he, was he was pinch, pinch hitting. hitting because they pinch hit for the guy before, too. Uh, they sent someone up. That might have been Grisham, and he got Grisham out on a strikeout, I Possibly. think. That's when he struck him out. Nevertheless, they had Webster, Rivas, sack bunt, and almost ran them out of the whole inning. It was yeah. so dumb to sack bunt in that situation, give up and out with a guy in the ropes. But he had two strikes on Profar, and as we've said time and time again about Profar, not time and time again, just a couple times the last couple episodes because we've been playing them, the guy has incredible play discipline. He doesn't swing at bad pitches, and he worked out a walk out of fucking nowhere, and then it got to the top of the order up, and then everyone knows what happened next. Yeah, and Familia threw him some good sliders, too, that he just fought off. There was, like, one I legitimately don't know how he hit, where he hit it so softly, like the one that dribbled down the first base. I'm like, how did you even... How did Wood touch that baseball? It was filthy. Also, you could take it... Like, it was annoying. Familia didn't really attack, it felt like. Like, when he needed to throw a strike there... He still went with the slider. Yeah, I know. I guess he didn't want to get beat on the sinker. Or... But at some point, like, you have to be thinking in your head, like, Jerickson Profar is up. Tommy Pham is on deck. And Fernando Tatis in the hole. Yeah. Who is going to beat me here? Like, I would rather take a risk and let Jerickson Profar put the ball in play with two outs. No, I agree. Rather than let this continue. And it continued. And as I said that Familia versus Pham is a disaster matchup, Tatis versus Jacob Barnes is a catastrophic matchup. And I feel like that also could have possibly played into what Rojas's decision was, was that if Familia like goes down, like he probably trusted that Familia could get those that bottom of the order out more than Jacob Barnes or Drew Smith. And then that if there was a trouble, he can make that switch. Where if you go to Barnes, you have to go to Drew Smith if he gets in trouble. And then yeah. what happens if Drew Smith gets in trouble or gives up some runs? Who pitches? Robert Gazelman, the game's over. Yeah, I know. But like <laughs> I think I think that was also part of the reason why. Again, it seemed like it was very scripted. It seemed like Familia was getting two innings no matter what, unless he threw 35 pitches that first inning. And again, my line then would have been Tommy Pham. Yeah. Once the top, once the order flips, there has to be two men on base by that time, just based yeah. on math, how many outs there could be. You have to make that switch. And they just didn't do it, and it came back to bite them. Tatis hit the grand slam. Machado followed up with a moonshot of his own. And I'm just left here asking, where was Trevor May? Yeah, I think that's the real big question, because... It seems like no reporters are even asking about Trevor May. Have they not realized he hasn't come into a game in a week? It Like, even when we were at the game Friday night, because we were at game one, me, my dad, your dad, you, we all brought up, like, what's going on with Trevor May? Like, are they going to IL this guy so we can at least get some retroactive days? With We need arms. Someone has to be able to throw the fact of the matter that he's in the bullpen right now and seemingly useless, and this is not a Trevor May problem. This is a Mets decision-making problem right now. If you're not going to use him, you got to IL him. But you can't just have him hover around. Like, I don't I don't know what the deal is. Also, if you were too scared to use him in such a close game today, why didn't you use him yesterday when we had a little bit more of a lead? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there had to have been another point in this series where you could have saved Lugo or Castro, even though he left with a stiff neck on Friday, or even Diaz yesterday in a three-run game, and made sure someone was available today. Because we're not... I'm not in the business of playing for tomorrow. No. But... You just have to be able to understand what you're doing, look ahead, and make sure you're in the best position to win every single game. And this, it wasn't the case today. Now, 
I will play a little devil's advocate here because I think we agree like it was a bad just move by Rojas, but he's also been pretty great the last month for us. Like he's been huge. Definitely. Big reason why this team's been doing well. And the Mets scored two runs today against Chris Paddock. Yes. That's really, I think, more of a bigger story. This Padres offense was going to score at some point. They're just so talented. It stinks the way it happened. But I think that people are a little more upset because it's a 7-3 loss as opposed to like 3-2. But the Mets still scored two runs against Paddock, three total in the game. That's another storyline is that the Mets offense just didn't have it going today. No, definitely not. And the only two runs were in a Jose Peraza home run. And we were putting the ball in play. Lindor had two hits. Mason Williams had two hits. They both Those guys each had three hard hit balls apiece. I feel like, though, it was really crushing when Lindor didn't get a hit off Austin Adams like right after the Tatis Grand Slam. Austin Adams, right? Yeah, Austin Adams. Austin Adams. That sucked. Threw him four sliders, and he couldn't hit any of them. To be fair, like the strike three call was like off the plate. It yeah. was like the classic like bend around it, and you're gonna get the call from the umpire every time because of the human eye. It looks like a strike, but if you have obviously like the strikes, and you're like it's just not a strike. It's the one that catchers love to call because they know they're gonna get it. You can steal a strike so easily on that with that pitch breaking into the zone to a lefty. But I, the thing that's really bothering me about this offense right now and we've talked about him a lot this year, is Dom Smith. Uh, we, we've kind of been on the bandwagon of like losing a little faith in Dom, and I'm starting to seriously get worried about him because he's on like an 0 for 19 stretch again, and you're going to go through rough stretches, you're going to go through slumps, but it's seemingly been, been an all-season slump. Besides like that little road series in Arizona and San Diego, Dom has been non-existent at the plate. He has 10 barrels on the season. That is atrocious. He's not hitting the ball well at all. Not at all, and... You just see him not taking advantage of pitchers' mistakes. You see him being aggressive in the wrong situations. He's just, he seems completely lost. Like, it's very hard to pinpoint one thing that Dom isn't doing well because there are so many things that he's not doing well. And this entire series really embodied that. Like, we saw in game one, he had that check swing against Blake Snell. I think it was bases loaded. Yeah. And Blake Snell was struggling. Yep. He, was, they, he was on the ropes, and Dom check swung first pitch and I get it lefty lefty it's not an easy matchup and it's Blake Snell tough lefty but you have to go up there with a better approach and it seems like right now Dom's approach is completely gone a lot of times when guys are struggling they try to just play and not think right and that's like a, a big thing is like stop thinking so much go up there do your thing let your talent speak for your game but it seems like Dom is almost like actually going up there and, and seriously not thinking because the selection of pitches is baffling he will swing at a pitch up and in oh oh and then 2-1, like you'll see him like do the little Ichiro swing, running out of the box, one-handed, flare it to left field. And you're like, that's not the kind of player you are. That's not who we thought Dom Smith would be. And when you dive deep into like the pitches that he's swinging at and the zones, he's still crushing pitches down the middle, but he cannot hit pitches around the edge. He's not crushing pitches down the middle anymore. Well, he's hitting he's hitting like literally down the middle and then right above yeah. it. But every like technically like that middle three, hmm. it's one spot and yeah. it's like the actual heart of the plate. I mentioned this a few weeks ago in episodes. We've been broken records talking about Dom. How often he's swinging at the first pitch in non-advantageous situations and making weak outs. Yeah, and when you look at like the ISO by zone two, like there, it, it's shockingly low. And you can even look at like 2020. He was never a particularly good low ball hitter. Not for power, not for anything significant. He has become not a good hitter of almost any pitch exclusively that like high middle up pitch. He's just all over the place. They have found his weak spot. They're attacking it, and he has no idea what to do with it. He has to become aggressively selective, and he's not doing that. He is being like very 
he's trying to make things happen. You can almost feel like, especially when he does come up with the bases loader in situations where he can drive in a run, it seems like he's just like jumping at the first pitch he sees. The location that he's getting crushed on this season is the shadow of the plate. What would be considered, like what is a shadow? The what shadow of the plate as is broken up on Baseball Savant is the area that if you give yourself about two inches in into the zone and two inches on the outside of the zone. So it is the questionable pitches, the pitches you would consider too close to take. Pitches that really you're not going to do very much damage on and pitches that you kind of have to foul off or sometimes get tough hits on to stay in bat in at bats and like go through and have a good season. But that is where he's getting killed. That's his worst run value out of any pitches. He's swinging at too many of them. He's taking the wrong ones. He's not making hard contact in any of them and it's really showing and it's affecting the rest of his game. Something that Dom Smith was very good at last year was punishing mistakes. I referenced it a couple weeks ago about the heart. I just said it two minutes ago. This year, he's swinging at 20% less pitches in the heart. Yeah, it's bad. There's no excuse for that. He's taking these pitches, he's swinging these pitches in the shadow, taking the pitches down the middle, and it puts him in non-advantageous situations. He's behind in too many counts. He's not hitting the ball hard. His barrel rate has plummeted, just like you said. I almost don't even see a way out in the near future for him. It is getting to the point where I texted you about it text my dad just like i am at the point where when conforto inevitably comes back we start to get a little more healthy dom doesn't get playing time over billy mckinney right now he just can't i know dom should be the better player and in the past has shown us but until that bat wakes up he is killing this lineup and today was a day like that where we had you know guys on base or opportunities to really put some pressure on and dom just came up and gave us nothing we've been a little negative for too long right now yeah we have maybe fallen victim to a bit of the aura around this game. We did want to start with this game because it's hot, it's fresh, Twitter's been jumping, and we got to bring the vibes back up. Yes, I think our reason to be so hard on Dom is because like, we know like he's a good player there, so it's like it's disappointing because we want more from him because we've seen it. It's not like a, this guy stinks, but like yeah. it's undebat- or it's not debatable that he's been playing poorly this year. Awesome. But yes, vibes up. Let's switch topics here because we won this series. We did. This was a great series. Yes. The Mets beat the Padres again. Yes. Two out of three, mm-hmm. and it got it started on Friday night. Jacob deGrom on the mound, game one, and if the dude like hurt his finger, and he was still just so incredibly dominant. It felt like a no-hit kind of night. Did. Didn't end up being that, but he was still unhittable, basically. The vibe in the stadium for deGrom was unmatched. It was 27, 28,000 people, whatever ended up being in there that night. MVP chance ripping from the first inning. Literally from the time he got called out. Yeah. Now starting, Jacob deGrom, and it was MVP, and I was like, we're back, baby. Let's go. Simple Man was blaring over City Field. Everyone was swooning to Leonard Skinner. It was great. It was so cool to see Jacob DeGrom live in front of the Mets faithful for the first time all year. Like, we've been to a couple games this year. I've seen DeGrom pitch live a few games this year. But having that place juiced up, having everyone jacked, feeling the energy, it was different. It was a beautiful night, too. It was gorgeous. Oh, what, a, what an evening. No, it was great. And it put up for a great game because anytime DeGrom's on the mound, we're obviously going to be favored to win this game. Mets ended up winning it, beating Blake Snell former Cy Young Award winner, who, again, wasn't bad, but it seems like this is a Blake Snell thing. He has bad innings, and they they avalanche. Like, he had a balk. He gave up a couple hits. He seems to almost, like, lose focus a little bit in certain scenarios, and that balk specifically was a lose-focus balk. That balk was massive. That balk was one of the biggest plays of this game. He, for some reason, was throwing to first when there was a man on second. There was a guy on first, too, but they weren't holding him on. He The guy on first was in. The first baseman was in on the infield grass. Who even was on first? Who was hitting eight that day? Was it DeGrom? DeGrom was up on that. No, I know, but they were playing for the bunt. That's what I'm saying. DeGrom was up. So they were in to play for the bunt. He balked him over. DeGrom gets a hit, two-run score. Yes. And there was already a strike on DeGrom when he balked. Like, it was already a question of whether he would continue to bunt or whether he would swing away because he slashed on the first pitch. And that wound up, I think, being the play that hurt his finger. But 
Blake Snell just spiraled. And it was ha- I was happy that right after that Dominic Smith rally killer, we came out the next inning, and that's when we put these runs together. Swinging. Yep, came out Billy Bombs. Billy Bombs, way. man. Billy McKinney, we want to give a little love to here. We, we, you guys know we're big Billy Bombs fans, maybe not as much as our dads, who when we were at the game, we mentioned Billy McKinney, and both of them lit up. Mm-hmm. They were so excited to talk about Billy McKinney. You would think they were talking about Francisco Lindor. They swooned. Yes, they swooned. But... Billy McKinney really has been very good, and we got some numbers on him because ever since he's joined the Mets, he's not just been one of the best players on this team. He's been one of the best offensive players in baseball. Defensively, a lot to be desired. But offensively, he has been one of the best hitters in all of baseball. Since he joined the Mets on May 27th, he has a 302 batting average, 362 on base, 742 slugging, and 197 WRC+, 10 extra base hits versus three singles. 10 of his 13 hits have been extra bases. He has been so great. Fourth highest slugging percentage in baseball since joining. Ten, top 10 in OPS. He's been so huge for this team. I don't think you can understate it enough, and he was huge again in game one. Him being in the middle of this batting order has kind of changed the way that we hit. He's made us more of a consistent lineup. It's freaking crazy. He did. Him and Jacob DeGrom had the big hits on Friday night. We rode both of their bats to the win. Yep. He was so big for us. And unfortunately, hurt. it seemed like he got hurt his knee a little bit in yeah, game one because he didn't play game that. two or three as a sore knee. So we don't know what's going on there. Hopefully he comes back soon because this guy helps our offense. You look at a lot of the games we've been winning, Billy McKinney's been at the middle of it. Yeah, which is just so funny to think about. You named him Billy Bombs like by accident. Yes. That was kind of just serendipitous because now he only has extra base hits. Yeah, that he literally only hits bombs. He's uh-huh. like turning into like a Carlos Pena light over here. He's like, I hit home runs and doubles. Mm-hmm. I don't do singles. I refuse. But back to DeGrom though, because really, I mean, that's the star of the night. He was sensational. You mentioned it when we started talking about this game that there was a real no-hitter vibe. When the first hit that came through, I don't remember who it was exactly. Will Myers. Will Myers, yeah. He had like a dinky single, like through the shift. Everyone in the ballpark was like, ah. Oh. You could hear like a, a sigh, but also like almost a sigh of relief. Like, <gasps> like wow, that was so close. <laughs> we, we're pins and needles for a no-hitter right now as Mets fans. Like, it has to happen. I don't want to say that and get jinxed. And if then, this is the year, if there's any year to do it, it's got to be this year where the balls are completely de-juiced. There actually were a couple of balls that were hit like pretty deep flies off the ground too early in the game. And yeah. Right into the glove. But... I mentioned it with Lucchese. I'm going to mention later with Stroman. DeGrom has his own adjustment today to prepare for the Padres twice in a row. He busted that changeup back out, threw it over 10% of the time. First time in like a month. Tommy Pham was just shaking in his boots. Tommy Pham had no clue. I felt so bad for Tommy Pham that first played appearance because he was on DeGrom's fastball right away. He fouled the first pitch off. I think he fouled the second pitch off. And he was on him, pretty competitive at bat. And DeGrom dropped a changeup and the whole thing was over. Yeah. He looked like he was... He was shocked. There was nothing. And he was dominant over Tatis, too. Tatis had literally no clue what to do. Well, Tatis is starting to have a little bit of a problem with outside sliders, something that the league should look out for. He's just he's a little jumpy. He's 22 years old. He wants to get big hits. He got one today. That's literally like what his like always his knock is, his fielding. Like it's because he tries to make big plays. Yeah. He's a big play guy. And DeGrom was throwing that slider to him on the outside. He wasn't even close to it. DeGrom's fastball actually only had two whiffs on Friday night. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. A lot of foul I, balls and a lot of balls in play on it. But which, that's slider. Which is funny, too, because the guys that I was with at the game, from the start, he goes, I know he's like pitching like a no-hitter. He goes, but he just doesn't seem like he's as sharp as he was. And it's because his fastball was sitting, like I think, like 97 during yeah, the game, oh, which is a little oh, low oh. for Jacob DeGrom. And he picked that up because he was dominant with the bat. Again, we called him out last start. They went 0 for 3, first time all year. We, Jacob said, you know what? I hear you guys, the Messed Up Podcast. I'm a Valiant listener. Mark James, I love you both, and I'm going to get a big hit for you. And Jacob DeGrom got two RBIs off of that Blake Snell balk. It was so big. It was so big. I was online getting hot dogs, and I was like, I was stuck. The lines were slow at City Field, you know, first game back with a lot of fans. 
And I was like, I could jump to a different line. I was like, no, this this offense is clicking. You can't get off the line when the offense is doing yeah, something no, good. He got the hit. Boom. I got my hot dog, came back to the seat. They got out. So, you know, I probably should stay on the line more. But, hey, we got three runs and mm-hmm. a big hit from DeGrom. Yeah, and it wound up being all we needed, even after DeGrom left the game, which the stadium was in a tizzy. I was upset. I was freaking I out. I was like, they took him. See, like, you want to get on Rojas? I was like, Rojas took him out tonight? Are you kidding me? Like, that felt like a very warranted upset. But it's because at the stadium, we didn't know. DeGrom mm-hmm. was having an issue with his finger and was pulled out of the game by, like, the trainer or him. They both agreed, like, mutually, like, let's call it a night. <laughs> they mutually agreed. It was, a, it was a mutual breakup. Yes, it was amicable. <laughs> amicable. But Castro came in. And Castro, as we now know, had a stiff neck. To me, it felt like they said Castro had a stiff neck so that Luke could come in and have as much time as he wanted to warm yeah. up. It felt like a fake injury. But last week, there was an instance where Castro did leave the game, and you kind of saw him grimacing a little bit. So maybe this neck thing is something for Castro. If I was a reliever and I gave up a home run like that to Jay Cronenworth, I would also have a stiff neck. Yeah, you got a little Hansel Robles. There's something going on back here. I don't know. A little Hansel Robles whiplash from watching that one go because Cronenworth crushed it. Bomb. Good baseball player, Really good baseball player. But luckily for us, you know, Lugo came in. Cleaned up the mess. That's mm-hmm. a guy who we know needs more time to kind of warm up. That's always been a big thing with him. Like, he's got to get up early. So I think that injury did help him out a little bit yeah. with getting in there to clean it up. He was great, as always. And it, he didn't throw a lot of pitches, which allowed him to go in game two. Loop came in afterwards. Loop did a good job. Mm-hmm. He started to get into the part of the lineup where you're not comfortable. Diaz stepped up. And, I mean, Edwin Diaz, those trumpets with 28,000 was great. It was awesome. It was great, but it could have been much better if the situation he was coming in was like the beginning of an inning and we were like excited and clean. Diaz had to come in with two outs in the eighth. And the four-out save for Edwin Diaz scares the living shit out of me. And the stadium, City Field, was tense during those trumpets. Like, everyone wanted to get loose and get wild, but no one really could. There was a lot of claps. There wasn't yelling. It was, like, clapping along to it. But, like, there was no, like, you know, people up on their feet, like, dancing. Like, it was like a, hey, let's, let's see what you got for us, Edwin. And, I mean, it's Edwin Diaz. He was lights out. Yeah, incredible. I think that he was facing... Not Tatis, it was Machado. Ninth inning, no, ninth inning, he faced the heart of the order. But when he came out, I'm saying, with two outs in the eighth, with the men on. Got fam, yep. and he got the job done. He did get the job done. One of the only people to get Tommy Fam out this series. He did let Jorge Mateo just take second base. Yeah. He didn't even look at him in a one-run game. That was frightening. I truly believe he forgot he was on first base. I just think he was so jacked up, he didn't even care. Yeah. He's like, like I'm going to get Tommy Fam out, like, so it doesn't matter. He can't steal home. Who cares? Let him he, ride. He might if there's anybody in Major yeah, League Baseball. Probably, I think he is the fast guy in baseball. I'd check that back if I kind of already forgot. But Diaz working in a four-out save. He went deep into his bag. He dropped first pitch sliders to, I think, every hitter that came up in the ninth. Tatis, Cronenworth, and Eric Hosmer, or Machado came up in the ninth too, and I walked him. Might have, yeah. Someone, someone got a base in ninth, I don't remember, but... Yeah, Machado was trying to steal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he did throw a first pitch slider to, again, to Tatis, Cronenworth, and Hosmer. That was the most times he has thrown a first pitch slider in any outing all season. Of course, he got more outs than usual, but he didn't necessarily face more batters. But I think it's cool to see that, like everyone else in this rotation, Edwin Diaz made an adjustment when the situation called for it, which is one of the most impressive things that this mesh pitching staff has been able to do this year. And it also feels like in years past, I've felt myself complaining about the Mets don't feel like they're prepared. They feel like a much better prepared team this year. And that comes from Rojas, Hefner. Everybody is doing, giving these guys the right information that they need to be successful. And it shows by this stuff on the field. Like there's a reason why the Mets bullpen and starters are all having good seasons. It's not necessarily because we have the nastiest stuff out of the bullpen or the nastiest stuff for starting pitchers. We are pitching to the guys in the proper way with the stuff that we have. Like they're using the information to be successful stuff. You see teams like the Tampa Bay Rays do the Oakland A's teams that don't necessarily have the talent sometimes 
but get the job done. The Mets have some really good talent, and they're getting the job done because they have the same information now. No, the Mets are officially smart. We've been banging this drum all year, and every Mets fan has to realize that we're now one of those teams. We're one of the teams that gets more out of our players rather than less, which is a big difference for the Mets. I understand that it's hard to realize this as fans, that we have jumped a rung. We're in a new echelon now of intelligence, but just be happy about it. Enjoy this, because we are going to be juicing more out of these guys than we ever have. It's good. Like We are one of the teams that shifts the most and that's why I think like even in this series, double plays were huge, specifically to Eric Hosmer, who seemed to hit into a double play every single time he stepped up to the plate. But a lot of it has to do with one, how they're pitching him. This is a guy who has a trouble with launch angle. He will pound the ball into the ground, pitch him low. Second thing with him too, is that he, you got to play the shift and the Mets were playing the shift. They were playing him right. If you probably ask Keith Hernandez, where are you going to play Hosmer? You go, oh, he'll take the ball to left field. No, you don't play that. You listen to the numbers. That's what the Mets do. And they got him out. They got... They just played a really good series. Did you just bring us into game two? Yeah, I brought us into game two here because it was a good, clean winning game two. Not right. too much to talk about. No, it was like a f- super simple, chill win. We got we jumped on Joe Musgrove early. Lindor we, had that quick home run in the first inning. And he crushed it, by yeah. the way. Like that lefty. was lefty. That was a beautiful bounce swing, drove it. Everything that you like, if you're showing your kid a nice left-handed swing. You show him that Francisco Lindor one because he did everything right there. And what do you know? He hit it about like 430, 440 feet. Well, yeah, he's just good. Yeah. Like, he's really good. It's fun. He actually even talked about after the game yesterday how, how much he enjoyed the fans cheering for him. Yes. Rather than booing him. He said, I actually feel like I'm home now. It's nice. Of course. Like, he, he's been very open about it. He does not like getting booed, which is great to hear. No yeah. one likes it. But I'm glad he also wasn't afraid to be like, uh, no, I, I don't hear it. And he's like, no, I do. I, I want it to stop, so I'm going to play better. He did play better. It was great. But the real story of Saturday's game was Marcus Stroman. I've said it before. I'll say it again. He's the most, he's the most important player in this team. Yep. He was dealing again. A very handsome box score for Marcus. Very handsome. Clean. Yeah, six and a third, eight strikeouts, one walk, six hits, one earned run. The only blemish was that Tatis just moonshot and that's just because Fernando Tatis yeah. is simply one of the best players in baseball he's Absolutely. so good you you make a mistake to him he's gonna make you pay definitely and the Padres were hitting the ball hard all day I don't think that box score really shows I don't want to say the struggles that Stroman had but that he was very hittable yesterday we talked about the adjustments for everybody last week I talked about how Stroman mixed all of his pitches when we faced the Padres I like that he does that more this wasn't a big sinker game for him a lot of splitters on top of that too second most splitters he's thrown in a game all year he wasn't really getting a ton of whiffs, especially on that splitter. That itself only got one. But the Padres, again, were lacing the ball. They had 12 hard-hit balls off Stroman, and they were all finding gloves. Yeah, and that plays into the whole shifting thing again. The shift works. People love to use like works so well. the, the outlier when it goes through that one time. But then forget the 10 other ground balls that got hit deep into the hole and, uh, you know, in second base at side or right up the middle. How many times has the Mets gotten a ground ball up the middle, stepped on second for a double play? That never happened the last few years. No. I mean, like, Lindor's a huge part of it, too, but they're just putting guys in the right spots. Definitely. Of those 12 hard-hit balls, only four left the infield. That's an incredible rate. Yes. That's what yes. you want, because yes. that's the difference, like, literally between a ground ball and a barrel. Leaving the infield, pretty much. Like, yeah. hit. if you get the ball in the air, you're going to get barrels. Barrels gets hits. Hard-hit ground balls, those are outs. That's just how baseball is played when it's using shifts. Yeah, especially now that the Mets are one of the most shifting teams in baseball. Hosmer himself yesterday. I don't want to talk about Eric Hosmer too much because he's a rat fuck and I hate his guts. Bastard. And just him existing inside of City Field makes me want to stab him in the eye. (laughs) (laughs) But he, that loser, forgot about launch angle again because he sucks. He hit four balls yesterday 
at 105 miles an hour or harder. 105 miles an hour is the line where like you crush that ball. That is almost gonna be a hit every single time. And he had zero hits, not one hit on four batted balls over 105 miles an hour. Like, you don't, do you not think launch angle works? Because Eric Hosmer is the poster child for this problem. Which is so funny because he was a guy last year who we saw like embrace launch angle. He's hitting the ball in the air more. And well, you know, he had a good year. This year, he seemingly has stopped caring about it and his numbers have declined. Yes. Which, sure, great for us. I don't care. Keep hitting ground balls. Be my guest. The Mets will continue to shift you and cause you to hit ground balls and get you out. It works. Definitely. And then the other funny thing I thought from this game was that Musgrove like was kind of dealing. Yeah. After that Lindor home run, like tough luck loser twice in a week for Musgrove against the Mets, which I'm really, I really feel bad for the guy. It sucks. I am heavily invested in his card in MLB The Show, hoping he goes diamond. Yeah. And he's come up against the Mets the last two times. And I'm like, let's beat you, but not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> We're just the world's sm- smallest violin right now for the Padres Italian Joe. Yes. We only had four hearted balls the whole game. Luckily, one of them left the yard. And two of them, actually, because damn, the Jonathan VR pimp, pimp a home run yesterday. Crushed it. Absolutely destroyed it. And I loved his pimp. His pimp was like so disrespectfully respectful. He watched it forever. Yeah. And then he looked at the Mets bench and went like, shh, let's, let's keep it down. Let's stay cool. Like as if he's like, I'm celebrating, but hey. We're good. We've been here before. That was one of the first balls that got to the corner all year. Crushed it. Yeah. Absolutely demolished it. There was no doubt that ball was gone. None at all. And then Seth Lugo, if anyone forgot, is one of the best relievers in baseball. So good. He's so good. He's mixing four pitches out of the pen. He's throwing sliders, change-ups, curveballs, anything you need, he's got it. It's going to be fun to watch him bridge the gap to Lugo when Castro's healthy. He's going to, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, I said him bridge the gap to Lugo. That's not it. Bridge the gap to Diaz. We got Castro. We got May. Like, that's that's a good four headed monster. You're talking about cloning Seth Lugo? I would love to clone Seth Lugo. Let's just, he could be every pitcher in the bullpen. I'd be so happy. If we have like seven Seth Lugos on the roster, we can make one a starter, throw six in the bullpen. I'd let him throw lefty too. Why not? I'm sure he can. Yeah, try it. Give it a shot. Try it. But yeah, it was a really good game too. Edwin Electric again, shutting the door. Mm-hmm. No problems because Edwin Diaz is just really good. He's the player that we expected, we traded for, and he's showing us it again in, in safe situations. He's pretty lights out. He is in that echelon of absolutely so elite out. closers in baseball. He's amazing. I just probably three or four relievers in the whole league right now I'd rather have than Edwin Diaz. Yeah, and those guys are like what? Josh Hader, yeah. Liam Hendricks. Probably. And a Chapman probably still. I guess. And otherwise, you're not finding much better than Edwin Diaz this year. No, not not, not even close. Like, Ed. really, it's it's a marvel that he is now one of the best closers in baseball. And, like, we just kind of have that. Yeah, what was it? Last night we were watching, like, the Jim Brewer stand-up thing or whatever. And he was yeah. talking about Edwin Diaz and, like, the 15 homers and, like, how quickly that changed. Like, yeah. you look back on that and you're like, that is going to age like milk. It's <laughs> not going to age well at all because this guy's so lights out now. We're going to be kissing the ground this guy walks on soon when he closes the door of a World Series I eventually. Am. I am kissing the ground he walks on. He's so fucking good. That yeah. four, that Just to touch back on Friday's game real quick, that four-out save, that entire situation went from DeGrom leaving and Cronenworth immediately hitting a home run. Yeah. That felt like a classic game the Mets lose. And the Mets didn't. Yes, they won. That That's that's a loss where it'll spiral out of control on Saturday. You won't be able to hit Musgrove. He'll beat Stroman. And you'll get crushed on Sunday when you don't have, like, the healthiest team in the world anymore. Which is so funny because, like, when you think about, like, the Mets, like, spirals or, like, all the bad stuff. Remember back in 2015, they had that terrible series against the Padres. It feels like every time we go up against the Padres, it's either going to lead to, like, absolute, like, meltdowns. Or this is going to be what pushes us to the next level. Well, that's more true now than then because the Padres are one of those benchmark teams, especially in the National League. Yeah. No one will tell you the Padres aren't one of the three best teams in the National League. And You'd the be Mets, lying. 
Yeah, you'd be you'd be dumb. You wouldn't be paying attention. Like, yeah, the Cubs have been the Padres. So just to start, like, start to transition us into our Cubs preview. This was a benchmark series. We said this going into like three episodes ago before we played them the first time. That it was going to be very important to see where this Mets team, still undermanned, mind you, would stack up against one of the best teams. A team that there's a very good chance we see in October. And we beat them. Yep. We handled them. We didn't like just skate by against them. We defeated them. Yes. Soundly. Four times in a row. And like you're very rarely going to beat the Padres like by a lot. So every game you're going to play with them is close. They're another, like we said, top three team in the league. Great bullpen. Yeah. They play shifts. They play good baseball besides that one bunt. But hey, like we, we hung with them. We beat them. We hung with them. We, we beat, beat them. them. We beat we the Padres. We defeated the Padres. So enough of this. The Mets aren't good to play in the NL East. The Mets just beat arguably the best team in baseball kind of situation here. And no one wants to give us respect still. Is that going to pull us into your bad take? That pulls us into my bad take. Let's just get that out of the way because I was so upset with Twitter today. I said, everyone's listening to Frank the Tank too much. We're getting too upset. Frank the Tank when, replied. When I came over today before like we were going to hang out and um, record the podcast, Mark said, don't go on Twitter. It's toxic. can't. You can't. It, it was so bad. You would have thought that the Mets... Anthony DeComo even talked about it. Yeah. You would have thought the Mets were in last place, 20 games back, and that this team just got swept by the by a last place team. Tacoma's the GOAT. I would love to have Tacoma on here sometime. Yes. I love that guy. He, he like People were losing their friggin' minds. Fire Rojas was back. Insanity. Rojas Ridiculous. isn't going anywhere. He's done a great job this year. But here's the message that I received in my DM. Can't say the username because it's a little... A little risky here. Yeah. But he said, it's certainly possible that the team would be even more successful with different leadership. And I think whether he's fired or tomorrow at the end of the season, his demise is inevitable. I really wanted to congratulate that Twitter user on discovering the thesaurus. Yes. Very impressive use of vocabulary. Demise, inevitable. Yeah, wow. Like those are two words I didn't expect to see from someone who's talking shit in my mentions about the terrible Mets management, which has been great this year. Fantastic. He's a steady hand, Luis Rojas. Sure, a lot of these bullpen decisions have not been great. But as we've said over and over again, I don't think he's really necessarily making them. Most managers in modern baseball get your direction, whether it be your lineup decisions, your lineup construction, your, your defensive alignments, or your bullpen management from the front office. And there's no doubt that's what's happening a lot of time with this Mets team. And it's just so insane to talk about the demise of Luis Rojas when this team is in first place, just went 17-9 in the month of May with a triple-A, double-A roster at times. We forgot Joe Neshwi Fargus and Khalil Lee and who was the other guy that was out? Cameron Maben. Cash Money Maven. Cash Money Maven. These guys were our starting outfielders for multiple games. Weeks. Weeks. We were winning games. Luis Rojas did a great job. We just beat the Padres. Two, we, we won a playoff series against the Padres, yes. and we have fans DMing me about the demise of Luis Rojas, that it's inevitable. The That's mess, crazy. You can't. How many games can you conceivably win? 97? Yeah. 98? You're going to have a lot more losses the rest of the season, and you can't act like every single one of them is going to send this team on a death spiral, and we're going to lose every game, and everything's over. Mets are 17-6 and six at home, I think. Yes. That's like one of the best records in baseball, if not the. And they've only played 33 home games. There's yeah. so many home games to come. This team is so good at home. We have a lot of home games next couple weeks, starting off with a four-game set tomorrow against the Cubs. And the Cubs have been playing good baseball. Yeah. I don't believe that they're a particularly good team. They have nope. good players, though. They still have Baez. still have Rizzo. They got Bryant. They got Contreras. Ian Happ. Like, there's there's good players on this team. They exist. So it's not a rollover, but their pitching is just... It's it's outperforming what they should be. Their bullpen has been crazy good. Their, bullpen's, their bullpen is very good. Their bullpen's been fantastic. But their starting pitching, we gotta jump on because they have nothing in that department whatsoever. No. I mean, do we have any probable starters who's even going only two pitchers are actually named this series for the cubs 
Jake Arrieta tomorrow and Kyle Hendricks on Thursday. I'm assuming that Kyle Hendricks probably get pushed up a day for Wednesday, but Trevor Williams on the IL, which is a shame. I'd love to face Trevor Williams. Even though he diced us up last time. But that's a different but, Mets well, team. Yeah, I don't care. It was cold. Yeah, it was it cold. It wasn't even this season. It was cold, and we played like three games in like three weeks. Yeah, screw them. I don't care. I hate the Cubs. We're, we're going we're gonna to crush them now. Abbott Alzley is probably not going to make a start. He's still in the IL with, I think, a finger issue. It might have been a blister. Which, it's not good that he's injured, but I'm glad that we miss him because he actually has good stuff. No, he's quite good. If he was pitching, he was going to be my Cub to watch. I think the guys to watch are just the offensive guys again. Yeah. Like, just keep an eye out for, specifically, like, Wilson Contreras has been having a really solid year. Mm-hmm. Behind the plate, he's gotten better defensively, and he is a good hitter. Very good player. Know him well from his brother as well, William, of mm-hmm. the Atlanta Braves. It's a good catching family to keep an eye out for, but... Yeah. These aren't going to be easy wins because the Mets still have to come out. This is a team that's competing for first place with the Chicago Cubs. They have been playing good baseball, and if they get a lead, they've been keeping it. Craig yeah. Kimbrell is back. Yeah, he's Craig disgusting. Craig Kimbrell is back to being like that conversation of like top relievers of all time. You can erase 19 and 20 where he like had those weird years. He's so back. Ryan Tapero also has been unhittable this year for the Cubs. Dude got MVP votes last year. Yeah. Everyone's like, what? <laughs> that guy now looks like a genius because Ryan Tapera <laughs> didn't give up a single earned run in the month of May. <laughs> I'm looking at the advanced stats. <laughs> yeah, no, he wasn't. That Predict was a, in the future. That had to be a mistake. But Ryan Tapera has been really good. They, like, and also Craig Kimbrell owns the Mets. So anytime there's a lead and he comes in, he never seems to give up a run. This is a team, though, that we got to jump early. We got to get on them. The Mets have been doing that a little more recently, scoring early, Mm -hmm. getting ahead. You've got to put the pressure on them. And it starts with Jake Arrieta, who, fuck Jake Arrieta. Not good. He stinks. He's bad. He he was great. He's not that pitcher anymore. Jake Arrieta had one of the best, we were looking at yesterday, like 150 inning stretches in the history of baseball. Between the end of the 2016 season, the beginning of the 2017 season, over 150 innings, Jake Arrieta that had what like an O it was an 087 ERA something 087 ERA for 150 innings that's insanity like he he was so good he's not that pitcher anymore no 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 he's bad. and he's just, I just don't like him he was like an he's he's been a little douchey to the Mets in the past so I'd he's love a, to smack he's a him douche around. in general yeah I'd love to smack him in that fantastic beard around because that is a strong beard I'll yeah, give him a strong that beard. but the real story tomorrow night and this series honestly for me it's just going to be if David Peterson can be okay. It's a tough matchup. It is not Man. a good matchup, David Peterson, against the Cubs because Baez, Rizzo. I mean, Rizzo hits lefties not as well as he used to. Still professional. But he's still a professional hitter. He'll still give a tough at-bat to David yeah. Peterson who doesn't throw strikes, and Rizzo will walk all day. He does oh, not yeah. care. William uh, Wilson Contreras, Chris Bryant, like they just have lefty killers yep. all over the place. Yep. Scary matchup, yep. especially with how Peterson's been pitching. Yep. I just... Come out, throw strikes, man. Give me something. Don't. I hate when he walks everybody. I hate when he's not aggressive. I hate when he's nibbling. I think that what we have to do with Peterson now is kind of what the Mets, I don't know if they've done it purposely or unintentionally with Lucchese, but just pick your two favorite pitches right now, whether it be the fastball and the slider or the sinker and the changeup. We want to get you through the lineup two times. Just get us to that point. Hopefully, maybe get a Sean Reed Foley call up today. I pray to God. Yeah, I, I think miss that him. there's probably someone's going to have to go. Down. Is there anyone hurt? No, but he's never been in the minors 10 days. He can come back up. And I know, but who do we send down? Oh, I'm sure someone who pitched today. As Smith, I guess. He still has options. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. But we need, We're probably going to need someone to piggyback on Peterson. He needs to pick whichever of his two pitches are the favorite, and we need to get through three innings with him. That's it. Just get through three innings, maybe four if he's really feeling himself, and then let's attack as we go along. Hopefully we already have nine runs off Jake Arrieta by that point, and we're smooth sailing. Yep, Lucchese treatment. Got to yeah. treat him with kitty gloves. Got to take positive outings. Mets did it with Lucchese early on, and look what it's built into. Yes. He's able to go five now and give us a really good five innings. We got to build that confidence up for Peterson. He's confident enough that he wants to go six and yeah. seven, Which even eight. Love to hear it. Don't yeah. agree, but no. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. 
So big series coming up against the Cubs here. Another above 500 team that a lot of people are going to be watching out how we perform against them. Same mm -hmm. thing Cubs fans are probably looking at the Cubs and saying, how are they going to perform against a good team like the New York Mets? This is going to be another playoff-like atmosphere. There's going to be a lot of people at the games. I think this week is supposed to be very nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm going Monday and Tuesday. Yep, and I'll be there Tuesday for our boy Ernie's birthday. So that should be a lot of fun. Hopefully you guys are at the stadium. If you are, come say what's up. And... I mean, I think that pretty much takes us out here. I don't think Definitely. we have anything else here to talk about with the Mets. Great series, great weekend. Great series, great weekend. Big series coming up against the Chicago Cubs. Hopefully we stay hot, keep winning games, and keep playing good baseball. That's really what I want to see. Mets can lose some games, but play good baseball. And they have been doing that even when they do lose. So that's going to take us to the end here of episode number 23 of the Mets Up podcast. You know where to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Mets Up. Same thing with YouTube. Mets Up podcast. Listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Anywhere you find them, you'll be able to listen to us. Thank you so much, guys, for listening again to episode number 23. We appreciate you, and we'll catch you all after this Cub Series for episode number 24. Peace out. Thanks for listening.